keep Rayman Digital on the air by pledging to our Patreon page. Uh, your continued support allows us to continue to make great content and offer even better features in the future. Help us keep the lights on in the studio by pledging one to ten dollars a month. Go to patreon.com slash Rainman Digital to pledge. Warning from the back to tank contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. Workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a medical droid to help and heal human beings. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Wars from the Back to Tank, the Bad Batch edition. I am Michael Flores, your host, and in the studio with me today is David. Hello, Dave. Hello there. Uh, Lauren is on sabbatical. However, she did share her feelings and thoughts on the episode. She loved it. That's it. We'll get her RMD score next week when she comes back in. All right, David, so let's get into this. This episode was titled Reunions. It is the eighth episode of the first season, directed by Stuart Lee, written by Christian Taylor. So in this episode, Dave, we were treated to a fun cameo appearance by a ruthless and formidable bounty hunter known as Cad Bane. Oh, dude, I was I got so giddy when I saw him and they made his entrance perfectly. Oh, yeah. It was perfect, man. I was so amped. As soon as I saw him just strut out, I heard the voice first, and then he's just leaning on that platform for the ship. I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> this guy's awesome. Oh, dude. And especially, like, hearing his dialogue, I love the fact that, you know. It's the, to the point. The character, the character's so refined at this point that I used to remember that a lot of people you used to remember. You forgot now? well in my memory mike remember it's really bad (laughs) i used to remember i used but back in the day and when cad bane got first introduced i used uh, i used to remember (laughs) i uh i remember actually people (laughs) constantly complaining about the character of cad bane what really yeah because like he was the constant perfect character oh like yeah. he can he he defeated the jedi so easily he defeated right. the clones so easily yeah it wasn't until you actually got to the, the the story arc between him and boba fett right where you focused on the bounty hunters well and you realize why he is so good you know because you know he was essentially the guy that became the top bounty hunter once jango fett was killed yeah in fact jango was bane's mentor and he played a big part in how Bubble Fett turns out. So th- there's a lot of history that comes with this character. And without getting bogged down by all of his history, um, he was a big part of the Clone War series. He was a student of Jango Fett's. Yeah. He did help Boba Fett become who he is today. Uh, their stories were intertwined for a while during Clone Wars. There was originally a big four-episode arc that was planned. 
uh, for the final season of Clone Wars that would eventually pit uh, Cad Bane and Fett against each other. Yeah. And it would explain how Bobo got the signature dent on his helmet. Yes. Now, there was a rough animation of the sequence that was never actually aired due to the show getting canceled. But it did broadcast or they screened it at the Star Wars celebration in 2017. Yeah. And for whatever reason, Baloney chose not to include that sequence when the show came back for its final season. Well, Um, a lot of people consider that like the lost episodes of Clone Wars mm -hmm. where it's some of that. I even I even recall that basically. George Lucas had some say in those scenes. Yeah. So it would have been actually, it's kind of a cool, uh, uh, a really cool thought that Lucas had some, you know, he had some interest in the character of Cad Bane. Yeah, for sure. And it makes sense because when you look at Cad Bane, he's the, he is like the perfect character that you would expect from George Lucas. Well, a lot of people don't realize that. George Lucas was a big spaghetti Western fan. He was a fan of the sixties cinema. Oh yeah. And that's the reason why I've always been drawn to this character, Cad Bane due to the sources of inspirations that brought about this creation. A Lucas cited before many, I don't know if it was many times, but I do remember in an interview that he actually stated that Lee Van Cleef, AKA angel eyes, AKA one of the most iconic spaghetti Western stars of the sixties was actually the inspiration for Cad Bane. Yes. And I love that. I know some people say, or they assume he's like the Clint Eastwood type, but he's not. He is, he is the Lee Van Cleef. Yeah. He's angel eyes. He only says what he needs to say in order to stress a point. He was the one that only opened his mouth right before he died. Exactly. That, that, that showdown between him and Hunter gave me so many memories of, like the spaghetti memory, western, yeah. the spaghetti westerns with Lee Van Cleef, especially when, especially when Cad Bane pulled his gun out, twirled it, and just one shot at him. Yeah, it was, dude. and I'm like, like, that's a Lee Van Cleef move. It's amazing, dude. I love the fact that. Okay, so we have Django Fett. Let's not forget Django. Where's that from? That's <laughs> also I wonder. that's also from the spaghetti western. Django, another awesome film from the 1960s. And then you have Cad Bane. I just love that Lucas just pulled from the Western cinema for a lot of his characters and not just the characters, but a lot of the themes of Star Wars in the early days and the whole hive of scum and villainy. What do you think that is? That is literally the old West saloon. Yeah, it's what when one of the strengths of Star Wars is its fact that it still brings in the inspiration that inspired George Lucas in the very beginning. I mean, yes, the Flash Gordon right. uh, motif, the the samurai motif mm-hmm. of the of the seventies and the sixties, and people always seem to forget that also the westerns. Yeah, Lucas was inspired by the westerns. That's why, like, when we get stories about. Star Wars done in the Western way, say like the Mandalorian Mm -hmm. or even more so with the comic that me and you cover in bounty hunters. Yeah. To me, those feel like true, honest to God, Star Wars type of stories that would come from Lucas. Yeah. Without a doubt. Now with these characters, you know, making an appearance, a character like I should say, uh, Cad Bane, it makes you wonder what's in store for these characters 
when it comes to the upcoming Book of Boba Fett that is just around the corner. Well, why Book are we Bo- Book of Boba Fett? Are we going to actually see this time frame? No, we're going to be during the Mandalorian time frame, but that doesn't mean Cad Bane can't pop up. It feels like they're reminding us of the world of the bounty hunters for a reason. There was a recent interview, I believe, with Filoni and Rodriguez where they had mentioned that the Book of Boba Fett is essentially going to be the Mandalorian 2.5 with a lot of guest appearances. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're dealing with the world of bounty hunters, it only makes sense that you bring in characters like Cad Bane, especially since Cad Bane is the reason why, for the most part, Boba Fett is the bounty hunter he is today. Sure, Jango Fett's his father and he trained him, but you got to remember, he died when... Boba was a young child. Yeah. And for the most part, this is where Cad Bane came into play. So you have a character like Cad Bane, who's very important to the origins of Boba Fett. It would make sense for him to be brought into that show. So can can you imagine that? Oh man. Seeing him in live action. I don't think I'm ready for that. I I don't think I'm ready for that either because I'm like too excited. Who, who in the world would they get to play Cad Bane? Because you need a, a certain, a certain actor that just has a certain attitude. Oh, yeah. You got to have the swagger. Well, listen, if they didn't already put Timothy Oliphant in oh, the last season, I'd easily. be like, T- Timothy, Timothy Oliphant. Oliphant play Cad Bane. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. So, yeah, man, there's a lot of cool things. And I know this is definitely just us speculating. It's all theories, but it does make you wonder with the world of Star Wars really being fleshed out when it comes to the uh, the crime, the underbelly uh, the bounty hunters, it feels like they are reminding us of certain players. Like, of course, we had Finnick Shand. Now we have Cad Bane. And we're only eight episodes into the first season of Bad Batch. And it leaves you wondering, okay, what's next? And how will this connect to our other shows? Yeah. So we will see what happens. Okay, so things are heating up uh, with Crosshair's injury, Omega's capture, Bane's appearance. We have reached a turning point that is for sure oh, now, yeah. we are at the midpoint as well uh, this is a typical this is typically a very crucial moment for tv shows when you've got to move those final pieces into place before moving into that second half you should not be doing any more setup so everything we have now moving forward episode 9 through 16 it's only going to be about Revealing things that have been alluded to, set up, mysteries, um, scenarios. But for the most part, what has been set up is set up. Yes. And that's why I'm getting excited because the way they ended this episode felt very much like a classic Star Wars film ending. You know, not everything goes well. You know, for example, Han Solo gets captured by Boba Fett. They take up the Jabba's palace. There's a little bit of optimism there with Luke, Leia, and Lando looking to go rescue him. I always consider that a classic Star Wars ending because many comic books, books, and other films have tried to capture that as well. And I feel like the ending of episode eight was just that. The fact that you had Hunter injured, you had Crosshair injured, they all had to go their separate ways. Omega has been kidnapped. Bounty hunters are after her. You get the idea that this is it. And don't forget, we now got to see the Caminos move. Yeah. They, they, they decided that basically we're going to actually act now. 
And now we know that basically they're not going to work with the empire. No, they have no loyalties. They have no loyalties to them. The question now becomes, it now refocuses on the mystery of Omega. Why is Omega so important? Exactly. Because like, if, if the Caminos were working with the empire, then it would make sense that, Oh, okay. She's just going to be brought back to Camino and given to the empire. But now at this point, you kind of get a sense that the Caminos do not want Omega falling into the Empire's hands. No, because if they didn't feel threatened, they would have told the Empire. In fact, didn't they say in the first episode that they weren't even going to mention Omega until they know the true intentions of this new Empire? Yes. So, yeah, I mean, we now know for sure, as you mentioned, that the Kaminoans are, in fact, the ones behind Finnick Shand. We yes. had theorized that they possibly could be, uh, but it wasn't quite clear. Now we know they were, but we are still not sure what their actual contingency plan is. And obviously it has everything to do with Omega. Yeah. But that's all we really know, right? That's all we know. Now, now the bigger question is, well, we know that the Kaminoans are not working with the Empire. Do you think this has to get the attention of the emperor at this point? Mm, I think it's too small for him. You think? Uh, yeah, it's too because small. It's small scale. You got to remember the emperor, the emperor Palpatine was the one who set up this whole scheme to begin with. I feel like it's too small. Uh, a group of rogue clone troopers are nothing in the grand picture of things when it comes to Palpatine's plan. Well, the now, troopers, I yeah, will, I will say this. If if this ends up becoming an issue with Omega yes. that threatens any potential plans he may have, then yes, he will get involved. But and, as of right now, this is small stuff. Yeah. And I feel like we can't really answer that fully until we know who and what Omega is truly about. And would you be okay if we actually saw the Emperor in this this series right now? Um Yeah. They, they, it, ha- it has to be done right. I feel like the, I feel like Palpatine and Vader are two characters that should always be used sparingly. I know yeah. there are Star Wars fans out there that think Vader should be in everything. Oh yeah, and I don't really think they're fully thinking it through. I feel like a lot of fans are thinking, yes, Vader's awesome. He's cool. He's the Dark Lord of the Sith. I want to see him do this. I want to see him do that. But imagine if we got all these things pertaining to Vader all the time. It would completely water down the character. He wouldn't be nearly as intriguing. He just wouldn't be. So I feel like they have to always, forever, Dave, not just for the next five years. I feel like forever they have to be careful with how they use Vader, how they use Palpatine, and how much. Because you can run the risk of really undermining the characters you have worked on now for over what 30 plus years 30 no, plus, year, 40 plus 40 years 40 plus years yeah and i totally agree i mean like and they have to fit the situation yeah, i mean look, vader look vader at rebels dave rebels is a perfect yeah. example of using vader sparingly and, and using him the right way using him the right way and the smart way yeah because like you know it's obvious why vader would actually show up in rebels after the inquisitors fail his, his own inquisitors fail my question uh, is Emperor. If the Emperor started this whole scheme with the clone armies from the beginning, which seems that that was, that's what the story is. We never really delved into the full mystery of 
you know, Sifo-Dyas and no, how, what the heck was the plan with the clone army? Yeah. But the only thing we can assume was that Palpatine started this from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So I, I, okay, considering I, Omega. Yeah, Dave. Okay. So now that I understand your entire point, yes. If we're ever to explore the mysteries of the cloned army and how it really came about, obviously we 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 know quite a bit. We know Sifo-Dyas was involved. We know that it was all done without the knowing of the Jedi Council, but we really don't know much more than that. Yeah. So if we're ever going to get into that story, this would be the story to do that. Mm-hmm. And if that's the direction they're going with Omega then I can definitely see room for Palpatine to make an appearance make in a appearance. way that would make sense. And that's the thing is because if like he feels like his plans have been threatened or possibly even revealed because obviously Palpatine doesn't want the galaxy knowing anything he has done because if they find out that he a is also a a Jedi, which is how they're going to view him, whether he's a Dark Lord of Sith or not. If they find out he has the Force, they're going to view him just like them. And yes. he is the one who said the Jedi have left him scarred and they tried to betray uh, the Republic. Now, if it comes out, he also has the Force. The jig is up. The jig's up. So, yeah, if there are scenarios that appear or pop up pertaining to Omega and the Kaminoans that could threaten his secrets, then yes, he will be there. And if not him one of the people that do his bidding, whether it be Vader or some other, you know, apprentice ish of sorts. That'd be kind of cool if they actually showed like, instead of Vader, we know as star Wars fans that the emperor had other agents that he could call. Oh on. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think if it'd be as it'd keep Vader away. Yeah. Vader has to be kept away from, in my opinion. Well, he's out hunting Jedi. Isn't he's, that his that's the goal number point. one right yeah. now at this time period? Yeah. yeah. He's basically hunting, hunting down all the Jedi Knights mm-hmm. and remaining ones and slaughtering them. Yeah. So. Like animals. Because like they are animals. like animals. <laughs> but I think that, uh, especially after this episode, when I realized that, okay, the Kamino- the Kaminoans aren't helping the emperor empire they're not they don't want omega being captured by the empire for some strange reason and also dave what what do the kaminoans know exactly when you you start really getting into it when you piece what do they know the fact that they were off creating a clone army when the entire universe had no idea and suddenly they are called upon and used right at the right time. Oh, a war broke out. Oh, look at you. You you really did think ahead. The Kaminoans know that something's at work. And I, yes. don't, and I feel like up to this point, they never needed to care because they are about themselves and about their own, you know, way of life and their own economy, I guess you could say. And as long as things are going well for their people, they're not going to, you know, ask any questions. But now that things are are going off the rails a bit. The war is over. The formation of the empire, the fact that the empire is threatening to close down the cloning facilities. Suddenly their alliances have now shifted to where, to where there's more about themselves. It's like, well, let's, let's figure out what we need to do to protect ourselves. And that of course is where Omega comes into play. Their alleged contingency plan. So We'll see, David. You bring up some great points, and I haven't thought about that fully yet, but you're right. There could definitely be room for Palpatine to get involved, and if not Palpatine himself, 
then yeah, possibly an agent. I would love to see a new badass character that, oh, dude, yeah. that works for the emperor. I would love to see his red guard, the red guard come, come yeah. back. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah, that would be good. All right. So we are also getting some differing opinions about what the clone force 99 should do amongst themselves. Some differing opinions. Yes. It seems like echo felt strongly about going with Rex, uh, but more importantly, than that and i do feel like it's important in a show like this when you're um if this was a shitty show like resistance or some other shit show then i wouldn't really i wouldn't dwell on certain lines that you could just call simply throwaway lines baloney and his team they're not going to have echo say something like that unless it matters down the road so this situation it posed an essential question. When Hunter said Rex is on a different path, Echo replied, what other path is there? We are soldiers. Exactly. And I, I like the fact that basically that moment really does show that the difference between the the original Clone Force 99 and Echo is still there. Echo is not an original Clone Force 99. Right. He joined the Clone Force 99 after they rescued him, but he still... A clone, uh, a clone from Rex's troop. He's a soldier, and it made sense to me that him and Hunter would have that difference of opinion because, at the end of the day, Echo is still a clone that was trained just like Rex. Yeah, the Clone Force ninety nine, they're different. They have their own individual thought processes. They, they, the only thing that really controlled them in the end was the inhibitor chip. Mm-hmm. And once you actually remove the inhibitor chip, especially from Wrecker and Tech and Hunter, you begin to realize that, at least I did in this episode, that the Clone Force 99 guys have their own individual... Um, they have their own pr- way of thinking about Way of things. thinking, yeah. yeah. They're, they're even more... Individuals... In, in, independent. Than, yeah, they're even more independent than than the clones themselves prior to the regular clones prior to order six, six. So they, they, they've always been a little bit more on their own. Well, especially look at uh, how crosshairs is now. Yeah. Crosshairs. Crosshair. Or crosshair. Crosshairs. <laughs> crosshairs. Crosshair. Um, still acts very independent. When you actually look how he oh, talks yeah. to the other troops and other clones. He's not thinking independently, but he's still an individual. Yeah, he's still yeah. an individual. Yeah, no, I, I see that. Yeah, so they're definitely going to delve into this a bit more, you know, with these differing opinions and personality conflicts. Um, right now, the Bad Batch is in a chaotic state. They are just simply trying to survive and haven't really thought about what is truly next. And I feel like this is the episode where that question was brought up. Well, yeah. what do we do now? Do we simply survive? Do we need to do something than just simply survive? And before the end of the season, I'd imagine that the character, the characters will have a clear path laid out for them. Um, in fact, in my opinion, I feel like the second half has to be that, about that. Where do they go? Obviously, on top of the fact that we have to wrap up the actual myth arc of the story, but when it comes to each of our characters, we need to find out what their purpose really is. What, well, yeah. what is a soldier's purpose once there's no war? Once there's no war. I mean, it's obvious that they don't 
Um, well, especially Echo. Echo doesn't like the, the idea of being deemed a mercenary. Right. He 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 he's well, basically no, a soldier well, at the end of the day. And also, these soldiers were honorable. the The clone mm-hmm. army were honorable, and mercenaries aren't. Isn't an honorable trade. Yeah, and so. it, if you notice, Echo still has issues with some of the stuff that Hunter and Tech and Wrecker decide to do. Yeah. You know, like whether because they those three particular the last couple episodes have choose have chosen to do things that might be a little dishonorable. You know, don't which is different. Yeah, which is different to Echo, Not who comes bad, from just more gray, who comes from a more military based thinking, right? And well, I'm well, he's a soldier. Soldier. The, these uh, Clone Force ninety nine, they're rogues. They're rogues. Yeah, and I'm really interested to see. I keep thinking that we're going to lose one of the group by the end of this. I mean, it happens. It it, it happened in Rebels. It happened in Clone Wars. Eventually, yeah. Eventually, there comes a point when one of the one of them just goes out in a blaze of glory. I, and I have a feeling all of them will die. Yeah, eventually, I I yeah. wasn't going to go there. I was at least going to say at least one of them. I think they're all going to die. I, I think, think they're going to die. I've been leaning towards for a that. good cause. I feel like again we're getting way ahead because we don't know how long the show is going to last. But before the show's up, I feel like it ends bloody for them. I think it ends bloody, and the the, the overall goal for the guy for for Clone Force ninety nine, just like we said, it's finding their motivation. Their motivation seems to be the safety of Omega. That's it. Which is a great driving point for now. But again, eventually they're going to have to find their true path because even though Omega, their goal, and I would agree with you, Omega is their their purpose for right now. Um, but your purpose has to grow a bit more. Otherwise, you would never will keep Omega safe. You have to have a plan. You have to have a strategy. What direction are we going to go? Yeah. And that will guarantee uh, the safety of Omega in many ways. So, all right. So the crosshair scenario, what's happening with this, you had touched on it just a bit a moment ago, but it seems like, and they've been teasing this all season. Is he going to end up investigating the inhibitor chip on his own? Because it didn't seem like he liked what Omega and Hunter had told him. In fact, he wanted to silence Omega. Yes. He told the men to target her. Yeah, target, target, which was, which was messed up. It, it is messed up, but <laughs> it felt very like, like lashing out because he does remember Omega telling him about the inhibitor chip. Well, you got to remember he still has his. So, and Omega, he can't think for himself. It just means he can't stop himself. Yeah. And that's the one thing that Omega was trying to tell crosshairs is she understands that he can't control what he's doing right now, even though down deep inside, she wants to hope that he's trying to fight it. I feel like he is, and I'm wondering if that fight will turn into him possibly investigating the inhibitor chip himself. Now, perhaps, you know, execute order 66 also prevents him from acknowledging the chip or prevents him from doing any type of investigation. We will see how that plays out. However, it feels like they keep dropping clues on Crosshair, and eventually Crosshair is going to have to question what he's doing especially after the reveal last episode where Wrecker said he knew what he was doing, but he couldn't stop. 
Yes. So Crosshair is having an internal struggle. He knows what he's doing isn't necessarily right, but he's so brainwashed and controlled, he can't stop himself. That's why I wonder so how after, long... after the injuries he sustained at the end, yeah. you have to figure, okay, Wrecker's chip was damaged simply by him banging his head. Right. Crosshair just <laughs> Crosshair just had a ship fire on it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, an entire engine. An entire engine just basically blew up in his face. Yeah. Now, David, I'm worried because not worried in a bad way for like story reasons. I'm worried for the character because I do kind of want even though I'm a fan of of depression and and sad endings and great storytelling, I, in my opinion, I feel like that leads to good stories. You know, sadness and you know, and things that aren't always happy endings. I feel like it it makes for better drama many of the times. However, there's a part of me that hoped Crosshair does come back because I like the character. But after that injury, it could go two ways. Either we're doubling down on the villain status because we know our villains always get mutilated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they're either doubling down and they're going to make Crosshair an even more badass mofo with injuries and scarred features and stuff. Or they're using that injury as a way to possibly fuck up the inhibitor chip. The inhibitor chip. That's really the only two ways you're going to go with that. Yeah. Because why else have, why else, why else would the writers include that aspect? Why yeah. have him get injured? There's no point. There's no point. Unless and it's going to lead somewhere. Yeah. Especially when he was with the rest of his troops and it just seems like crosshair was the one who took the worst brunt of it yeah. just randomly to choose him to take the worst brunt of it i agree with you it, it is kind of a trope of star wars to scar our characters and that's what makes them villains right however it just narratively i would like to see that mo that is the moment when the inhibitor chip fails yeah. And now it's damaged. No, I'm with you on that for sure. I'd rather see a bit of a redemption story for Crosshair to have him see the error in his ways and rejoin his brothers, whether it ends in his death or not. I feel like let's say he dies at the end of the season. I don't want him dying unknowing. I don't want him to die controlled by the inhibitor chip. If he does die, he has to die based on his own volition. Because he finally found out that the inhibitor chip is, in fact, controlling him. Yeah. I, I just feel like for him to just to be killed off being controlled is a massive injustice to the character. So we will see what well, happens. We'll see. Either way, whatever they end up doing, I have faith in this show at this point. Like, I don't, this isn't another resist, uh, this isn't another resistance scenario. Oh, thank God. This is 100% <laughs> a Filoni production. And yeah. you get that from the beginning of episode one until the ending of episode eight so far, that this is a Filoni production. It's well thought out, it's great storytelling. So I'm, fairly certain that whatever they end up doing, whether it's depressing or not, or I didn't see it coming, it'll end up working out just fine. Oh yeah. I do like to see the, the possible directions that they're going. There are a lot, but yeah. I don't see, this is what I like the best because yes, I see all the possible directions, but I don't see which path they will take. There are a lot of possibilities, but nothing is predictable. Yeah. That's the interesting part about this show because the they could do, there's literally so many things they can do. 
it's the same magic that I noticed. I think Filoni and that crew just has this particular way of telling a narrative for Star Wars down so well because the same elements that I see here just writing-wise and academically, I saw. I see the same elements that I saw in the final season of Clone Wars. We all knew what was going to happen in the end of final season of Clone Wars, but we, I remember me and you kept bouncing from episode to episode going, oh my God, we're at this point. Oh my God, what are they doing here? We weren't expecting this. <laughs> we were. Yeah. And then now with Bad Batch, I'm getting the same vibes of it, only I truly don't know where they're going. All the possibilities that me and you have discussed, even just in the prior episodes... Yeah. It's endless. It's, a, it's 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 amazing. Yeah, it's endless. The possibilities are endless. And that's why this show is so intriguing because, sure, we see all the directions they can go, but that doesn't mean they're going in those directions. And any direction they go can work. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a great time in Star Wars. Uh, oh, it when is. it comes to this time period, there's just... There's just so much you could do. It's amazing how popular, too, that these characters got in just one season because I don't know if you've if you've seen them, but like the real the release of the latest black label or uh, not black label black series Star Wars figures Mm -hmm. have the Bad Batch. Oh, okay. And they are the most sought after figures now for toy collectors because so many fans have to have the full set of the Bad Batch. Give me that Bad Batch toy. And and it's amazing that we haven't had, we truly haven't had these characters for a long time. It's only been like a eight episodes. A well, a year and a, if you want to include the finale of Clone of Wars. Of Clone Wars, but even then, that yeah. was only like, what, three episodes? Yeah. And then so many fans have gravitated towards these characters and they're just like, a lot of people online are just like us. They're like going, we don't want to see these guys die. Yeah. You know, I, I remember they had me and me and Lauren and you were talking about how sad it would be if Wrecker were to die. Yeah. Because he was suffering from the inhibitor chip. And now we're go- now this episode, we're like going, okay, if it's crosshair and his story is like going the way we're going, it it can't end well for him, or it can't even end well for one of the, for the Bad Batch. Yeah, this is a story that's not going to end super happy. There'll be some moments of happiness, but for the most part, this is a show that's going to end with a little bit of doom and gloom because it's the time period. Yes. This is a dark time. This is when the Empire reigned supreme, and no one could challenge them. So you can't really have a super great happy ending no, but the and thing also you can, maintain the the feeling of this era the thing you can still do though is still leave that feeling of hope because that yeah, was the biggest sure. that was the biggest theme i mean even in solo there's always during that this particular time frame that we're in right after revenge of the sith while everything is doom and gloom there's still like that little little glimmer of hope in there's the horizon of hope yeah and I think that's important and I think it's intentional because I feel like a lot of Star Wars creators, whether it be, you know, the directors of the standalone films or the writers of the TV shows we are now getting and the comic book writers and book writers, I feel like they all understand that episode four started this all and yeah. Luke Skywalker, when it comes to this story, is at the center of that. And he is the new hope. 
So I feel like all of them respect that and say, listen, no matter how sad this is going to end, we need to always maintain a certain level of hope. Yes. All can feel like it's lost, but at that last moment, give us that little, that little bit, that little bit of hope. Yeah. All right, Dave. So this does bring us to the end of our discussion. We are at our final thoughts. Why don't you give me your final thoughts and your RMD score? My final thoughts on this one. Okay. This is officially my favorite episode of the season. Really? Especially with the Cad Bane reveal, dude. You, uh, I yeah. mean, in the past, you've heard it, for all the listeners that mean that mean you have garnered for our show. Everyone knows back when we were talking about Clone Wars in the past, one of my favorite characters of all time was Cad Bane because he, he is the epitome of what George Lucas was inspired by. You know, the the Flash Gordon type characters, spaghetti westerns, the samurai motif, everything. That's Cad Bane. And the cult cinema. The it's, occult yeah. Yeah, the occult the cult cinema, yeah. And then when I saw how he kind of they've adapted him for this time frame and they made him more mature. Oh, he seems so, more he's so suave, dude. He seems more like sure of himself. More even control. more so. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> he's less he's less egotistical, like especially in his mannerisms. Yeah. But it, it's kind of like what he's you said. Strictly he's, business. He's strictly business now. Yeah. He is Angel Eyes. Where, you know, like when Lee Van Cleef's character comes into any Western, it's almost kind of like he just approaches the bad guy, says, yeah, you're, you're kind of you're kind of in the way, and then shoots him and then moves on. As I said, when I saw that, I'm going, I, I blurted to my, my wife, who was watching this with me, oh, my God, they just killed Hunter. Because I, I legitimately thought Hunter died because Cad Bane shot him. And, and especially that final, I, we haven't touched on it, but the, the choice of cinematography in this episode too, that final shot of Hunter coming to and dragging himself. Let's call it animation. Yeah. And that animation or that choice of animation was really awesome. I love the way that 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 episode ended. What would be the name of it? Like it's cinematography, sure, but is it? Because there's no cinematographer really involved. So, is it animation and faux cinematography? I would say animation with faux cinematography because there is A simulated there is, cinematography. Yeah, there's yeah. simulated cinematography going on. Well, they're animating. In a very cinemagraphic type of way. Yes. Yeah. Because remember, me and you have been gushing about even down to the lighting and the use of oh, like beautiful. fog and yeah. atmosphere in this season is fantastic. Yeah. All right. So, so what's your score, Dave? My score for this one, after being my favorite, is a 95. Jesus. That is your highest score. Yeah. Before that, it was episode one, which you ranked at 92%. Yeah. That was your highest rating so far. So you're giving this episode a 95%. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dave, this is also going to be my highest rating, I believe, since. Oh, this is my highest rating of the whole season. It is a 90%. I feel like not only did this episode have all the great Star Wars things that we all have come to love. Um, of course, Cad Bane was amazing. And everything you said, I agree, Dave. But also, this episode was very well written. Uh, there was a strategy behind how they're going to conclude the first half of the season and moving those pieces into place for the second half. 
were at a turning point and we felt it. And I feel like that's definitely an achievement, especially when you're dealing with a 25 minute running time. It's great. I mean, there are TV shows that have, you know, 57 minutes of running time and they can't do what this show is pulling off in 25, 26, 27 minutes. Oh yeah. So this is a 90% for me. I will get Lauren's rating next week when she returns, but she also has, uh, she has shared her thoughts with me and she loved the episode as well. So, all right, Dave, this does bring us to the end. I want to thank everyone. I want to thank everyone for listening and be sure to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash rainman digital. Get more star Wars from the back to tank every single month by pledging to our Patreon page and you will receive instantly more episodes from us where we break down books, comics, additional topics, you name it, we do it. Patreon.com slash Rayman Digital. Thank you, David. Thank you. May the force be with us. Ah, yes. (laughs) 